With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keating. I'm joined on this pleasant Wednesday by the brilliant Connor Bromley as we take a look at some of the latest talking points from the transfer window and Connor we're going to start off uh, with the story that's on the back page of this morning's Daily Mirror and the Daily Star as well uh, regarding Victor Ossinen, uh the Napoli chairman Aurelia De Laurentiis coming out and suggesting uh, that there is not only a £170 million price tag on uh, Mr Ossiman which is obviously quite high even in even in the current market and what we've previously talked about prices for players on this podcast um but equally then saying that only Paris Saint-Germain had the ability to afford him. Um, of course, you know, like most club chairmen, unless you're David Sullivan, you're never going to come out and say that a player's up for sale because that would drive the price down. And of course, if you come out, you're, you're going to always say, it's like selling the house, isn't it? I suppose you always want a little bit more than probably what you're going to uh, be willing to accept just so that you don't get any low ball offers. So I wonder if that's what De Laurentiis is trying to do here to, to kind of start a little bit of a bidding war suggesting the price is this much and, and we'll probably kind of meet somewhere in the middle between what the clubs want to pay and what Napoli want. We'll have a bit of negotiations around it, but ideally this this might drive the price up a little bit in Napoli's favour. Well, a, a bit more is what every team wants when they're trying to sell a player, isn't it? I mean, you know the team that you support, if they say, you know, you're a Tottenham fan, Harry Kane, it's better for you if Bayern Munich and maybe one or two other teams are after him because then you know that the, the price will go up because it's whoever bids the most wins. So I can see that. I think from Napoli's perspective, this is a bad window to sell Osterman because I think the big clubs in Europe all have either found their target and, and bought the player, i.e. Real Madrid with Jude Bellingham have went out and, and done their business. You look at Arsenal, they went and got Declan Rice. I think all the teams that have money in Europe kind of picked their targets out and, and have went for them already. So 
I think this is a bad summer to be looking for a 100 and, well, I mean, they're not, never going to get 170 million pounds, but it's a bad summer to have that number out there because I don't think there's many teams in Europe, if any, I mean, you know, PSG, the only team that can afford them. I don't think PSG could afford to spend that level of money, especially with the Kylian Mbappe situation going on there. You know, if they'd sold Kylian Mbappe for a hundred million pounds this summer, then yes, I could. This would make sense for them to go out and, and buy Osherman, but that's not happening. I, I don't think Mbappe will leave PSG this summer because I don't think there's suitors for him, and I think because of that, it's well going back to the the. Uh, selling your house analogy from before it's like the property ladder isn't it you know you need all the rungs of the ladder to be set up so that all the deals can go through and I don't think at the minute it is set up in that way and I think Napoli will probably end up keeping Oshimid and next summer will be the year where he makes the move the only issue with that is is his value right now is at the highest it's probably ever going to be he's at a very good age he scored 30 plus goals last season Napoli obviously won Serie A so He's never going to be more valuable, I think, than he is right now. So Napoli may have missed the boat if they aren't able to sell him this summer. I wonder if, again, it's games from Villarentis uh, towards uh, Officer Venezuela well by saying, yes, we'll let you, like, you know, might have had conversations earlier in the season. Yes, we'll let you go in the summer just as long as our price is met. And then Officer Ben will have probably reacted to shock to see that there's £170 million price tag. I'm sure there's plenty of other chairmen down the years who, who employed similar tactics with their players. Um, but just on Osimhen a bit more in depth now, Connor, um, a player that has long been linked with a move to the Premier League. Uh, 26 goals for Napoli last season as they won Serie A. 50 goals in 83 Serie A appearances in total for Napoli. Um, before that as well, impressed at Lille. This is a player that's long been linked with the Premier League. So what do you what do you make of Victor Osimhen? Is he someone that his game, his style is tailor-made for the Premier League? I would say so, you know, when I've watched him in the Champions League, I see a player who's big, powerful, intelligent, a very, very good finisher, and they're all the qualities you'd want from a Premier League striker. I think the physical side of the game, I think he wouldn't struggle with. And for that reason, he seems like a logical fit for a Premier League team. Personally, if I was going to look at one team that you would fit, I'd probably say Chelsea. I think that they could do with a striker like him to really lead the line. I think that Osterman would kind of be the finishing touch to that team in the sense that they don't have forward players. I know that they're lacking also in other areas of the team, but he would be kind of a statement signing for them. They brought in Aubameyang last summer. That didn't work. We obviously know what's happening with Lukaku. That didn't work. So they, they do need to find a genuine proper number nine. So I think Chelsea would make a lot of sense and they are probably the team that is willing to spend 100 million plus on a, a striker. So it would make sense for that to be a good match. But again, I just don't think that this summer is the time where Chelsea are going to spend that sort of money when they've already spent so much money since Todd Bowles came in. But I do think it's a good fit for Premier League football. Just as a, as a wider point on Chelsea and Man United in this transfer window and what they're searching for, um, of course, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to add to their squad, trying to make sure that they can go and, you know, challenge Manchester City and Arsenal next season. Chelsea have already, you know, made one or two additions to that squad. They're obviously focused on, on getting some players out as well. Likewise, Manchester United have already bought in Mason Mount too. But for the remainder of the window, is an out-and-out number nine going to be there 
both of their priorities, you know, because it looks like definitely from last season, it's something that both teams have been crying out for. You would think if it goes back to the resources, isn't it? I mean, we heard that Man United have only got a £100 million transfer budget and it looks like they're spending that on Mason Mount and Onana, the goalkeeper. So unless they sell players, then you can't see them going out and buying, you know, the, the number nine for the next 10 years, which is probably what they're looking for. And I think the same goes with Chelsea. I think they've spent a lot of money. I don't know where they are in terms of FFP, but I can't see how you can spend that level of money and not be up against the FFP wall a little bit, certainly to the point where you can't spend a hundred plus million pounds. So I think it's it's difficult to see, unless they can sell players, how they can recruit, you know, a genuine world class number nine who's in the the entering the prime of his career. And that's the big concern. I mean, you look at what Manchester United did last summer. And you wonder, is there regret over signing a player like Anthony for, what was it, 100 million euros, who I don't think was exactly what they needed. He's a, a forward player, but he's not somebody who's going to score you 20 goals in a season plus. Luckily for Manchester United, they do have Marcus Rashford, who is going to score goals off the left. I don't think he's necessarily the best traditional number nine, but he is a fantastic forward player. Look at his goal tally from last season. He will score goals. So Man United do have that over Chelsea because Chelsea last season just couldn't score goals. I mean, that is the main reason why they had such a terrible season was the fact that they've created chances. I mean, the amount of times you'd watch highlights of a Chelsea game and it was 90% Chelsea highlights and they were done on a sucker punch goal. It was just because they were playing Kai Havertz up front, who is not a striker. You know, they didn't have a player in the area. And you'd think that's why at the start, I sort of said that he could be the final piece to that team because I think a lot of their issues, you know, look at how they played under Graham Potter they played decent football. They just didn't have anyone to put the ball in the net. And I think they could rectify a lot of the problems they've had if they could find a number nine who can, you know, have a conversion rate that's better than about 6%, which I think is what Chelsea were running at last season. Going back to, to Osman though, in, in general, with these, this price tag that's been placed on his head by Napoli, do we think this is likely to deter Chelsea and Man United from making any bids whatsoever this summer and that they'll look at other targets? You know, obviously, Man United have been linked with Rasmus Hoyland uh, from Atalanta. Uh, Chelsea have been linked with one or two other strikers as well. So do we think that they might pivot and go more in on these players and, and give up on Osimhen? Or do we think that they might look at perhaps testing the water with the lower offer again, similar to what you do in the house market, put in a low first bid, a cheeky first offer, see how far you get and see if there's any wiggle room from the guys on the other side. I think to me, it feels like Osman's been paper talk. You know, he's been heavily linked with a move to the Premier League for the last year, but there's never been anything concrete in it. I would say the price, you know, if Napoli are starting at 170, look, they're never going to get 170 million pounds, but they might be thinking if we can get anywhere around 120 million, you know, we'll be happy. I don't know what the finances are like in Napoli. I don't know if they need to sell or I don't know if they're, you know, happy for him to stay, but <laughs> you would. You would think that a player of his quality would have suitors specifically for teams like Manchester United and Chelsea who need a number nine. It would make sense for them to be interested. But I just wonder if they're put off by the overall cost of the deal. I mean, you look at what Man City were able to get Erlen Haaland for last summer. You know, do you want to pay twice that price for a player who's not as good? Maybe that's playing in the thinking, you know, it's just, it's a lot of money to be spending. You look as well, specifically with Manchester United, their recruitment of players who cost sort of £60 million plus 
they have missed on almost all of those signings. Almost all of those signings have either not proved themselves so far or have left the club because, you know, they've not been good enough. And I think there has to be a little bit of trepidation if you're Manchester United to go again and buy another player who's a huge part of your budget. I mean, Paul Pogba was a, a, a failed signing. Harry Maguire failed signing. Look at players, you know, Anthony, who they brought in last summer, hasn't set the wheel. Like Jaden Sancho has really struggled since he's arrived at Old Trafford. And that's just straight from the barrel of players they've spent large amounts of money on. And you would think that maybe Manchester United are concerned about spending that level of money again on a player to be the sort of centrepiece of their team, only for it to blow up in their face again. I think he's about there, and the proper point, you know, I understand it. And yes, he wasn't great, but I do have to kind of always go back to it and find it quite funny that we go and spend £90 million pounds on a player. And some might say the other argument on this point about if you spend £90 million, pounds, you should be able to slot in. But I just think Man United never, you know, played to his strength, never utilised him. The best always play him in the middle field too. And when we see him do well for Juventus and Frankfurt or the midfield three, but I could probably have another podcast entirely on that. Um, just finally on Osimhen, Connor, uh, we're almost looking for a, a summer transfer saga, I think, this year, aren't we? You know, the fact that the Declan Rice deal is, is you know, just waiting for I's to be dotted, T's to be crossed. Um, you know, we've already had Mason Mount wrapped up. There's, there's plenty of, you know, Liverpool have got both Shaboshlai and Alexis McAuliffe that will be surprised if they go and sign anyone else big in this window. A lot of the clubs have done their big, big business, especially quite early on. So we are looking and crying out for a transfer saga. Could this be the one? And if not, what? Or who could be the transfer saga instead this summer? Well, I think it's it's the dominoes, isn't it? Manchester United, in particular, know that they need to improve their team if they want to compete at the top of the division. So they need to sell players, and I think the quicker they can sell players, I mean, look, if they could get you know, say, thirty million for Fred, and then they sell Scott McTominay for thirty million pounds, and then they sell a couple of other fringe players, and suddenly they've they've brought in a hundred million pounds worth of players then I think realistically Osherman can be a target for them and they can go out. They need to get rid of those players first. And, and currently, from what you read, it doesn't feel like there's much movement when it comes to Manchester United selling players. And that's the problem. Chelsea, on the other hand, you know, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but they are having a bit more success selling players. Therefore, they could maybe be in the market. I mean, they desperately do need a number nine, in my opinion. I think that what they have right now isn't necessarily enough if they want to try and get back into the top four. So I think they do need to improve in that area. And this would be a a signing for me that would do that. But could it be the transfer saga? I think if it is, we're going to have to start seeing some, you know, strong movement soon and see some bids getting put in because at the minute it feels like a lot of paper talk, maybe people trying to feel each other out. But I just don't think there's the resources there from Manchester United and Chelsea right now unless they sell players to go out and spend £120 million on a, on a striker. Before we continue on with this podcast, I just want to uh, point any listeners in the direction of a new uh, podcast that our friends at Mirror Fighting uh, started last week. Uh, it's called You Don't Play Boxing. It looks at the rise of influence boxing. Great first episode last week, um, looking at kind of how uh, it all came about and the kind of idea of sustainability within uh, the realm of, of influence of boxing. Uh, and there'll be a new episode this week looking ahead uh, to the weekend's show in Dublin that Kingpin are putting on. Uh, it's the semi-final of their high-stakes knockout tournament. 
Uh, so, of course, if you're into your boxing and into your influencers, then that sounds like the perfect one for you. But even if you're not, give it a listen. Uh, definitely well worth it. Uh, kind of returning to football, though. You mentioned there about Manchester United, Domino's trying to move players on. Uh, Domino's has made me hungry uh, as well whilst recording this. I can feel my stomach rumbling, but, but you know, maybe that would be a conversation for another day with myself. Um, but talking about players leaving Manchester United specifically, uh, and one of those who has been linked with an exit this summer, and it looks like it could be uh, staying in the Premier League, is Anthony Alanga. Um, is it... He was someone that kind of came onto the scene, and we'll, we'll kind of discuss a little bit more in depth about, you know, kind of where it's not worked out for him at Manchester United, but someone who did well, struggled in that second season. Is it the right time for him to to perhaps move on now from Manchester United with um, the kind of revolution that Eric Ten Hag has put in place and, and he doesn't seem to be a part of it? For a young player, still early on in his career, is it the right time to kind of move on just so that he gets those perhaps a, a bit more constant game time uh, to develop his, his football and his future? I think if he was to look at uh, Ahmad, who went to Sunderland last year, who obviously is my team. But if he looked at Ahmad and saw what he was able to do by just going out and playing regular football, he probably would be looking at saying, well, I want to do that because Ahmad was, you know, even though he just joined Manchester United, he went to Rangers and didn't have a, a great time. And then he joined Sunderland on loan. And I think there was a lot of people thinking, you know, Man United's wasted a lot of money on this lad and he's, you know, He's playing in the championship now for a team that's just got promoted out of League One. That's not what you expect from a player who you've signed for a huge amount of money. But Ahmad had a great year at Sunderland and now is being linked with Premier League loans, but is also being considered to be a part of the Manchester United team. That, for me, is the the model that Manchester United should employ with Elijah, but also what Elijah should be wanting as well. Because if he can go out and have a really good loan spell even if it's in, I know he's been linked with Premier League clubs, but even if it's in the championship and just find that confidence, play 40 games in the season, get regular starts, score some goals, get some assists, find that confidence, find the player that you could be, then Manchester United next summer will have either a player they can sell for a really good fee or a player they can use in the first team. If Manchester United were to sell him this summer, they would be selling low on a player that I think has good potential. You know, I like him. I think he's... From what I'd seen when Solskjaer was in, I thought he he had a big future. I think he's still only 21, so he definitely could still have a big future. But I think last year he got lost in the shuffle a little bit at Manchester United. I would like to see him go out on loan. I would like to see him probably go out on loan in the championship and play regular football and and get a feel for the game. The championship is good as well because it's a, it's a good blend of that physicality you get in you know, in the football league, but also the quality. There's a lot of teams with very, very good players and, you know, the football there is is better than what it's ever been, I think, right now in the championship. So I think that would make sense. And for Manchester United, it means they've got a player that in 12 months is either done really well in the championship and they can sell or using their team or a player that they know it's probably time to cut their hands and cut their ties with them. We've both mentioned it about the fact that Elanga had that great first season um, when he kind of really broke into that team and it was the, the year that Oli Solskjaer, Solskjaer got sacked and then uh, Raffing came in but he seemed to kind of be one of those rare positives I think in that entire campaign for Manchester United nothing else seemed to go right but Elanga seemed to be kind of a, a real positive for them to latch on to go to last season under Eric Ten Hag and it just doesn't click the same way for him you know he seems to be overtaken you know we spoke about Anthony coming in he's falling down the pecking order behind him Alejandro Garnacho seems to be above a in that pecking order now as well for Manchester United. 
why did it not necessarily work out for Elanga as much last season? Is it just as simple as changing manager, changing the style of play, changing how he approaches things, and it just didn't? You know, we've all been there, even in workplaces that you know you work under different managers, and you know one manager you kind of deal with so brilliantly, and everything works perfectly, and that you know sometimes, unfortunately, in life there can be other managers as well that that aren't. You know, we've all been there. We've all had it where there's those mathematics managers that you don't get on with as well as much, or they don't, you know, kind of, they see things differently to you and, and the match isn't as perfect. Is it? Is it as simple as that or is there something else to it? I think, you know, it, it's bringing, you mentioned there, Garnacho and, and Anthony coming in, you know, Garnacho found himself this season and looks like a Manchester United player for years to come. Um, and Anthony, they spent a massive amount of money on. I was unimpressed with him. I think, you know, I've mentioned it earlier, I don't think he was worth the money. And I think Manchester United will regret that signing. But when you spend that level of money on a player, he has to start games and play. You know, you don't spend 100 million euros on a winger or sit on the bench. So I think that Alanga got lost in the shuffle last season. I think he was the convenient player to to leave out, largely because of, you know, the fact that he's not proven. Yes, he'd done decent with Manchester United the previous year, but that was also probably the worst Manchester United team of in my life. Uh, they were horrendous towards the end of last season. They were when he was shining, the rest of the team was was definitely not. So it feels to me like Alanga has just been the victim of squad depth. I think wingers as well. There is generally a lot more wingers about in football you know I think it's a position that teams normally can recruit quite well and most teams have depth in them positions and I think Manchester United are, are exactly that and Alanga just found himself in a position where he wasn't valued as much as the other players which is why I think a loan move out from Manchester United's perspective would make sense because I don't see that changing I don't know why Eric Ten Hag would use him 16 times last season largely as a substitute and in this coming campaign would suddenly play him, you know, start him 30 times. I don't see that happening. So for me, this is a, a bit of a crossroads for Manchester United and Alanga. With Alanga, and this is going to be a double question here, would Everton be a good fit for him? And would Alanga be a good fit for Everton? I, I personally think Everton are a shambles. I think I look at what they've done this summer in terms of selling young players. I don't know. Uh, there can't be another team in the Premier League that is in such a, a dire position than Everton right now. Um, I don't think they've got a great manager in Sean Dyche. I don't think that he is going to inspire them to be anything more than 15th at best. Now, maybe Everton will be happy with that. But f for me, Everton are a top eight club in the Premier League. That's where they should be. And I, I know they've had lots of lots of issues off the pitch, but at the minute they feel like they're just trying to keep their heads above water you know and Alanga would be an exciting move I have to say if they were to bring him in it would be a change of transfer policy to be a little bit more forward thinking uh, a lot of the players that they brought in over the years have been you know buying high you know paying a high price for players that weren't necessarily um, a good fit I think Alanga could be, but I think as well, he's a player for the future. You know, he's not going to come in Everton and, and be a star man. I think he'll need one or two seasons to really bet in. He's only 21, but Everton to bring him in on a permanent transfer and pay probably, you know, 15 million plus. It's a lot of money for a team that doesn't have much money. 
if it was a loan deal, that would maybe make more sense. But would Manchester United want to send a player on loan to that environment? I mean, look at what happened to Everton the last two seasons. It's not been a great place to play football. It's been tense. The, the fans, rightly so, have been on the backs of the, the club and the board. And I don't think that's a positive environment to send a young player. So I don't think it's a good fit for Alanga for that reason. I think for Everton, if they can get him for a decent price or get him in on loan, they'll probably think, well, we're getting a really, really good quality player who can improve us. But for Alanga, I mean, would you want to go in to Everton right now, you know, with everything that's happened there on and off the pitch? And Sean Dyche, is he the kind of manager that's going to get the, the best outward player like Alanga? I, I, I wouldn't say so. I don't think he's got necessarily the best track record with those types of players. So I don't know if it would be a good fit for him. But if he looks at it as a, a fresh start, maybe it could work. But I struggle to see with Everton really what they're trying to do on and off the pitch. I I think they're just preventing the inevitable every year when they're staying up with a couple of games to spare. And just moving on to Chelsea, you know, we spoke about them earlier on on the podcast and about the fact that, again, similar to Manchester United, trying to move players on and it might free up and get more cash to, to then go out and get other players. Um, Mauricio Pochettino uh, perhaps getting a little bit tough early on in his Chelsea uh, campaign, although I, I think it's the right call on this one, uh, telling Romelu Lukaku, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Hakim Ziyech to all stay away uh, from training until they finalise their moves away from the club. They might be invited back. I think it's the 17th. Do you know it could be, right? I saw day 17 floating around somewhere, whether or not that's day 17 of pre-season or the 17th of July. Um, unfortunately, I'm not entirely sure. But it's quite clear that Lukaku, Aubameyang, Ziyech are not part of Pochettino's plans for Chelsea. So I suppose, you know, it's, it, it probably is the right call for him to, to tell them to stay away from the training ground, not least because it frees up a little bit more room in that dressing room and he probably doesn't feel as claustrophobic. Yeah, they're likely the outdoor porter cabin will that fit the rest of the lads in. Nah, it makes sense because I think for Chelsea, you know, what happened there last season... It, was that to do with bad dressing room environment? Was it to do with just the general way the club was run? We don't really necessarily know, but I would look at Aubameyang, for example. You know, We talked about the fact that Chelsea couldn't score goals last season and Aubameyang spent most of the season getting splinters and he's behind from sitting on the bench. So he is a player that clearly they don't, they don't value. They don't think can work in their team. So what is the point in keeping him around? It, I think it makes sense. You know, if you've got these players who you're not going to use, who are quite vocal, but certainly Lukaku and, and Ziyech seem to be quite vocal and the fact that they don't want to stay at Chelsea, why would you keep them around? They're going to bring down the rest of the, the squad. They're probably going to bring the spirits down of players. You don't want players there who are not wanting to be there. You know, it doesn't make sense for Chelsea to keep them. And especially with a new manager coming in, I sort of hoped for Chelsea's sake, that uh, Lukaku and Pochettino might be able to, to work something out, a new manager coming in, fresh start. But it seems to me like Lukaku just has no interest in staying at Chelsea, which is bizarre, really, when you think about the fact that when he came back to Chelsea two years ago, he was talking about how he had unfinished business and he loved the club and they're his club and he, he wanted to prove himself. And now it feels like, you know, he just wants to be anywhere but Chelsea. So, I think it's a good call and I think it's a call that the fans will also get behind. I think that the fans probably with Lukaku and Aubameyang, not so much Ziyech, I think Ziyech has been a pretty good servant for Chelsea, but the other two have 
you know, really let themselves down when they've been at Chelsea. I think the fans will be, you know, on the side of Pochettino on this one. Let's say one of them, or more, could be two, could be three, don't leave in this window. Does it, the fact that you told them to stay away now, does that make it harder to integrate them back into the squad? Is it any chance of being integrated back into the squad? Because, you know, and the thing is, is that let's, in this market and, you know, we, there is talks about, I think, Abamian and Ziyech. Ziyech already had a, a move to, to Saudi Arabia full through, but both of them are still being linked with, with a move there and obviously Lukaku to Inter Milan. But if it doesn't work out and Chelsea can't move them on, they're stuck with talented players on big wages. It kind of almost seems to me a little bit remiss that you don't try and find a way for them to get back into this squad. Again, probably because it then hurts you getting in that yeah, especially Lukaku and Abami and getting in a, another striker. I know they've got Nicholas Jackson, but I can't say that I'm particularly confident that he's going to be that leading man that we're looking for for Chelsea with his track record and, and everything else. I, I don't have, you know, it could be, we, this this could be a clip that's replayed in 12 months' time after we smashed his early violence Premier League goals record uh, and Chelsea win the title by 15 points. But I, I don't have that faith that so they need to move them on. But if they can't, you know, those players... Again, under a new manager, a new start might be the missing piece in the jigsaw. So whilst I agree with Pochettino's decision to not allow them into the trading ground whilst they're trying to move them on, I do feel that if they can't move them on, it, it does leave Chelsea in a bit of a difficult situation. I think it does, but I also think that, you know, we're all grown-ups. You know, surely Pochettino has talked to these players and said, look, these are coming back on the 17th. I'm going to give you this extra time off. Hopefully we can sort of move out before then. But, you come back on the 17th, it's business as usual. And we're going to see if you can fit into this team. That's what you hoped will have been said for Chelsea's sake. It'll be, I think Aubameyang and, and Ziyech probably won't be very hard to integrate them back into the team because they were there last season. Um, I imagine that, you know, they've got friends within the club and I don't see that being a, a major problem. I think the call could be a little bit different because he has been so outspoken about the fact that he doesn't want to go back to Chelsea Clearly, there were issues there, you know, 12 to 18 months ago. You know, he's, in that first season, he was at the club. He, he spoke out about the fact that he, he didn't like the way they were playing. Goes on loan last summer. I don't think there's much love lost between Lukaku and Chelsea. I don't know where he fits in within that squad. I don't know the dynamics. I don't know if he's got lots of friends there or not. But it, it feels to me like he has let Chelsea down, you know, quite considerably since he's moved there. And I think a lot of the players there at Chelsea... You know, particularly the leaders of the team, the ones like Rhys James, Ben Chilwell, Thiago Silva, you know, they might look at him and think, you know, you don't have our backs. That's probably how I would look at it. So I think it'll be really hard for Lukaku to, to fit back in at Chelsea, especially if he's still being vocal about a move right now when they've got a new manager in. Fortunately, Lukaku is probably the most likely to leave, isn't he? You know, I think of the three, he's the one who's more likely to get a move. There's interest from Inter Milan and Juventus, so I don't see that actually being an issue. I think Aubameyang and Ziyech, certainly Aubameyang, he'll be hard to move this summer because of his contract. Um, Ziyech, I think they probably would be able to find a move for, so I think if anyone's going to stay out the three, it'll be Aubameyang, and he would just end up doing the same thing he did last year where he sits on the bench and comes on for 20 minutes here and there and maybe starts a few League Cup games. You know, I don't think he's going to be a big player for Chelsea this season. Connor, thanks so much for your time this morning, but we are out of time on this show. Uh, again, if you're interested in your boxing or your influence of boxing or, or any of 
former combat sports course look out for those uh, new podcasts that I mentioned earlier from our uh, friends at Mirror Fighting you don't play boxing a uh, new episode on that one should be out on Friday I believe um, but of course when it comes to football you can stay up to date with all the latest uh, from the transfer window and beyond uh, across the Mirror the Star and the Daily Express websites but for now it's goodbye goodbye